As La Nina fades off, what does the weather pattern look like across the country for the coming months and out to the next couple of years? But we are getting into a different ocean cycle now. Meteorologist Don Day joins us for the entire show as we talk weather. We'll talk patterns he's seeing and then apply that as we go region by region across the country. Plus, a discussion on climate change and our weather. One thing that very few people know about, and I I wish more people knew about, is something that's called RCP. He'll address that along with our long-term weather on this episode of the Working Ranch Radio Show. It's the Working Ranch Radio Show. Justin Mills, your host, and we're glad to have you joining us on our program today. We are right here every Saturday and Sunday on Rural Radio Channel 147, Sirius XM. We are on at noon Eastern time, and uh, we're glad to have you joining us. Of course, as we always uh, like to remind you here, this is episode 60, and the significance of that is, well, if you want to go back and you want to listen to the show or you would like to share it with some folks uh, on, on social media or on email, you can send a link through your favorite podcast provider. If you search under Working Ranch Radio Show, you'll find us there. Today is episode 60. And I always like to also mention too, we have had some great shows uh, over the past year and a half or so as well. And a lot of these shows, as I've said before, I like to do them in such a way that they have useful information, not just for then, right then and there when we did that show, but also down the road as well. What I like to call shelf life on a show, meaning that you can go back and you can listen to it and find some very useful information. That's kind of one of my goals. Not always can we do that because sometimes we are covering information that is very timely, but nevertheless, uh, if you go back and you look through the library of all the shows, I encourage you to do do that. We've had some great shows already this year and uh, go back and listen to those. We appreciate you doing that. And if you like what you hear, be sure to let us know. Send me an email or shoot me a text. Either way, you know, it's easy to get a hold of me. My email address is justin.workingrand at gmail.com or you can also send me a text here the phone number in the studio is 307-363-COWS and we are glad to cover uh, any topics you might want us to cover we'd uh, like to do that like we did last week we covered an issue or a topic on sheep have you thought about sheep for your operation well maybe that's not up your wheelhouse by any means but for some folks maybe it is well if you want to find out more about that go back and listen to last week's show as we talked specifically about that but today's show is going to be on weather. Meteorologist Don Day will be joining us, as I said, here in just a few moments. The Captain Tim O'Byrne will be in with this week's edition of His Two Cents. But first and foremost, we would like to thank the sponsors of the Working Ranch Radio Show, the American Simmental Association. And one of the things they want to remind you, you know, there was a survey done several years ago between about the years of 2014 and 2020 on the bull breeds that people were buying, commercial producers were buying. Did you know the one of the largest growth in bull breed types during that time frame was bulls with sim genetics heterosis works which is why with simmental it's more per head period find out more at simmental.org other sponsors of the working ranch radio include the american hereford association come home to hereford and the north american limousine foundation limousine cattle deliver to your bottom line and Keneally angus you know it's coming up saturday march 26th will be their spring bull sale. That's the fourth Saturday of March, 12 o'clock noon mountain time at the ranch there in Whitman, Nebraska, selling over 550 head of older bulls. These are coming twos, 18 month old, some long yearlings. Uh, you can also catch that on Northern Livestock Video. If you'd like to find out more, go to their website at Keneally Angus. Other sponsors include the American Angus Association. Look for the registration number when you're buying bulls this year. Buy the power, buy registered Angus bulls. Well, it's time now to check in with the Captain Tim O'Byrne for this week's edition of Tim's Two Cents. Hey, Justin. Hey, everybody out there. Reflecting on today's instability and the tragedy going on, Uh, I'm reminded of 2013, I was invited on a uh, tour of the Russian beef production industry that they were creating back then. And we got a chance to 
visit some big, beautiful cow-calf operations, massive 25,000 head feed yards. I mean, the feed yards were amazing. They were just exactly like if you were standing right in the middle of Nebraska, the same bunks, the same silage pits, the same equipment, the same, you know, cowboy gate pins, everything. And uh, visited a state-of-the-art packing plant. The technology just blew me away and met so many great people, went to some towns. Uh, one of them wasn't too far away from, from Kharkiv, Ukraine, where, where a lot of this is happening today. And it just, it reminded me of the global nature of, of our industry and all the people that we know and interact with and, and how something like this can affect it. And, uh, you know, they say freedom isn't free. <laughs> and it's truer words couldn't be spoken. So that's my two cents, Justin. Boy, I'll tell you, it sure makes you step back and think about how insignificant some of the things that we squabble about in our country and really globally, the things that we get all caught up in and we just cannot take our country for granted. But at the other side, it's not time to bury our heads in the sand as if what's going on over there will not have an impact in our country. I, I think we all know it's going to. We are not living in the times of World War One and World War Two. There have been some major changes in all realms of our economy, of our society, of our culture. And when there is war and strife in one part of the world, well, it affects everyone. Well, don't go away. When we come back, we jump into our feature topic today. It is on weather as meteorologist Don Day joins us. We take an in-depth look at not only our long-term weather, but some of the things that are affecting that and what they're watching are as we focus on different regions of the country. And also later on in the program, we're going to be talking climate change and weather with meteorologist Don Day. You're listening to the Working Ranch Radio Show. It's a competitive calf market, and buyers want calves that will perform, period. And a proven solution is Simmental. In fact, data from the Tri-County Steer Carcass Fatirity from 2002 through 2018 on nearly 60,000 head of calves revealed that Simmental sired calves represented the highest carcass-valued sire group over English and other continental breed groups. And the sire group that was the second highest carcass value was Simangus sire. So... The proof's right there. For low-risk, high-potential calves with earning potential, be confident that Sim Genetics will give you more per head, period. Stand strong, Simmental. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show as we jump now into our featured interview today. And no stranger, as I said at the beginning of our program, we're going to have meteorologist Don Day on with us as we dedicate this entire program to looking at weather and some of the issues that he is following. And so, Don, first of all, I, I want to thank you for being a part of Working Ranch Radio Show, really from when I started with it. I think it's a great addition. I want to thank you for, for always being a part of that for us. Thanks for having me. I've been enjoying it. <laughs> well, I, I can tell you, as I, uh, you and I have had the same discussion several years ago when I was an ag broadcaster. We always kind of pounded our chest thinking everybody was there to listen to us when the reality was it was always the weatherman that they really wanted to listen to. So, <laughs> and I find that I was down at NCBA and I had some folks come up and say, you know, I really liked uh, the weather the weather segment you have on there. So let's get into our program here. And uh, last week, for those of you listened to our podcast last week, uh, the captain Tim O'Byrne wanted to talk about uh, things like solar minimums, solar maximums, and the cycles that we're in now. We've covered that a little bit here from time to time, but let's kind of go back through that uh, where we where this year is at in resemblance to previous years. Because while they may not be identical, there may be some resemblance. So when you look at this year, looking back, what are you kind of thinking as we start rolling into the spring time of the year? Yeah, every time we head into a new spring, there's always hope of you know, maybe something different, something that is going to be a little bit different than the last couple of years, which, boy, has been challenging for so many people. Really, it all got started uh, in 2020 when we saw uh, the Pacific go from a, a real strong El Nino in 2019. And 2019 was was a wet year for just about all of the United States. A really good year with precipitation, too much in some areas. But once we got into the growing season of 2020, we saw those sea surface temperatures change and we found ourselves all of a sudden 
with that El Nino gone and, and a well-developed and rather robust long-lasting La Nina that went through the growing season of 2020 and 2021. We call it multi-year La Nina. Mm-hmm. And what that does is that is a, a signal for drier than normal conditions for the Western, many areas of the Western and Central United States. And that's exactly what we've seen. If you were to examine the, the drought monitors for the last 24 months, you would find that the establishment of drought and in some areas severe to extreme drought uh, really got started uh, in that late spring 2020 and has continued all the way on through. So mm-hmm. it's been challenging. Um, and one thing that has been uh, really sticking out as a big driver is this La Nina pattern that's gone on for, for a couple of years. You know, La Nina has happened frequently. They, we go back and forth between El Ninos and La Ninas, but La Ninas most of the time go for a year, not two. And when you put them back to back, and that's, that's what really causes a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know w- when you talked about kind of how this year is shaking out, when you look back and you try to try to base it against, you know, our last solar minimum and, and cycle and everything kind of was back to that 2011 date. And then 2014 is a year that is showing some resemblance to this year as well. Now, I know, you know, everybody's weather has some specificity to their particular area. And so... While, while my area is not uniform to everybody else, I went back to look at my weather data from 2011 and 14, and those were above average years for moisture that that we had here in, in our part of the country. And I, like I said, it's not the same for everybody, but um, I know there's a lot of concern right now with folks wondering, are we going to see, are we going to see that spring moisture? And so based upon what you're looking at, what do you see happening across, uh, across our country here in the next uh, couple, three months? Yeah, that's, that's really the million dollar question, isn't it? And, and as we go into the spring and summer, what we're going to do is we're going to go back and look at similar patterns in historical years and see, go back in history a little bit and see what has happened. So you brought up 2011 and 2014. Those are a couple of years that we're looking at is what we would call analog years, where the spring and summer patterns out in the Pacific Ocean and what, where we were in the solar cycle, those are two years of interest. We, we saw our solar minimum bottom out uh, in, in late December, early January, right around the New Year's timeframe of 2020. And you know that's one reason why we have the multi-year La Nina. You tend to get those multi-year La Ninas right around or just after the solar minimum. Now what we're doing is we're cycling out of that and we are going into our next solar cycle. So we're seeing sunspot activity, the sun's getting active again. And that, that affects things. And if we were to go back to that 2011, 2012 timeframe, well, that was at the same period of time, just coming out of the solar minimum, kind of like we are now. 2014 was somewhat similar in the sense that we, we had a La Nina and we were also, you know, a couple of years removed from the solar minimum. And we go back and we look at the sea surface temperatures in the subtropical Pacific near the equator, then up into the Gulf of Alaska. That's where we see similarities because we know that that Gulf of Alaska, that North Pacific region, the region in the subtropical areas really drive a lot of the weather that ends up coming into the United States, especially the West and the central areas of the United States and to some extent the Southeastern United States. And what we have seen is that we have seen similarities to that 2011 and 2014, those two years from not only what we're seeing out in the oceans, where we are in the solar cycle, but we're also seeing some things in our long range modeling that is hinting that there's gonna be similarities to those two years when we go into the spring and summer seasons. The overall message on top of those two years, which is somewhat encouraging for a lot of the United States is, is that when we see this pattern evolving and changing is, is that we are going to see this La Nina end slowly, but we are getting into a different ocean cycle now. Mm-hmm. And we, we should have a situation, not for everybody, but more than what we've seen over the last couple of years, better precipitation in the spring and summer than we've seen over the last two years. Mm-hmm. 
when we when you're, we're talking about those years, and I'm looking back at some of my data here, um, and I show show 2011 being a higher than average uh, moisture year, but then 2012 being actually almost half considerably. We're a 15 percent or 15 inch precip here in in where I'm at, and we were I'm showing about six and a half inches for that 12 month cycle. Um, are we? As we come out of this, are we going to see a bump, you know, a, a, a dive down? I mean, I'm sure at some point we're going to hit another La Nina, just not in conjunction with that solar minimum that makes it an extended La Nina. But as we as we come out of this, are we going to be dipping down here in a year or so? Or are we going to have a couple of years where, on average, we are seeing either average normal precipitation or even above average precipitation? Well, no, we do not expect to go back into a 2012 situation, which would be awful. Yes. I know, I know a lot of folks remember 2012, and really the last two seasons have been very reminiscent of that. Um, however, from what we're seeing out in, in, the, in the subtropical Pacific, we see the waters near the equator, and, and all the modeling is agreeing with this, and it also agrees with the analog technique, which is, all right, we're, we're going into a new solar cycle, so this is basically how we should trend. So we are encouraged that La Nina, these colder water temperatures are going to slowly, in the next month or two, slowly get warmer. And just by getting them a little bit warmer, we'll make the spring and summer precipitation patterns more productive. Um, And we should, by a year from now, we should probably find ourselves in, in a warmer subtropical Pacific could we even have a, a weak El Nino coming in 2023? It's possible. You know, it's on the table. But what we don't see is we don't see a reversal of those sea surface temperatures getting really cold again. Um, so that overall, the big picture is, is that as long as we see these trends continuing, we should have better precipitation. You know, from what we're seeing, Justin, I think that the year 2014 is, is probably our best analog mm-hmm. for a lot of the United States as opposed to 2011. Um, So that's the year we're kind of looking at. Um, Mark Twain said, history doesn't necessarily repeat itself, but it rhymes. That's what the weather does. It doesn't exactly repeat itself, but there are similarities. So that's the year I think we're going to end up being close to when we look at March through August of 2022. Mm-hmm. Well, let's take a break here. When we come back, we're going to continue. Today, my guest is meteorologist Don Day joining us as we're not only looking at uh, weather here for the next couple of months, but really a long-term weather across the country for the next year or so. And we're going to narrow it down. And we're going to be looking at region by region specific weather and the scenario that he is anticipating for the next coming year. We'll be back with more. You're listening to the Working Ranch Radio Show. There's assurance in buying bulls from a proven program, and a program that's been proven time and time again is Keneally Angus. So mark your calendar now for Keneally Angus Spring Bull Sale, Saturday, March 26th. That's the fourth Saturday of March, offering 550 head of yearling, 18-month, and coming two-year-old bulls. Now, these bulls are fully guaranteed with free delivery nationwide, and bulls out of the industry's leading sires with genomic-enhanced EPDs. You can buy in person, leave them a bid, or bid online at Northern livestock video. For more information or to request a catalog, go to KeneallyAngus.com. It's Keneally Angus Spring Bull Sale, Saturday, March 26th at 12 noon Mountain at the ranch south of Whitman, Nebraska. Sale season's here again, and there are a lot of black-hided Angus bulls on the market, but not all of them are registered. Why take the risk? Don't gamble on unproven genetics. Invest wisely with registered powered by Angus bulls. Backed by the power of the American Angus Association and 80 million data points, registered Angus bulls give you the confidence in your buying decisions. Don't buy an imposter. Look for the registration number. Buy the power. Buy registered Angus bulls. And we welcome you back here to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. Thank you for joining us here on our program. Glad to have you here with us. Before we get into our, uh, continue with our conversation with meteorologist Don Day as we talk about weather, as it's very significant to our uh, to our industry, there's no question to that. But also, you know what else is significant is the genetics that we're putting in our cattle. And this is bull buying season. And I'm sure you, if you're in the, in the need of buying bulls, I'm sure you're already doing a little research. You probably already have a few sale catalogs in uh, on the kitchen 
kitchen table. But one of the things, if you don't have it or if you do, don't forget to take a flip through the latest issue of Working Ranch Magazine because I'll tell you, it is going to be one of the most comprehensive spots that you can go to to find the information where you can go and get more information on the various different bull sales across the country. No matter what breed you're running or whatever whatever color you're into, you will find it in the Working Ranch Magazine. If you do not have your subscription, easy place to go is to go to their website at workingranchmag.com and get your subscription started today. Well, let's turn back now towards our featured topic today as meteorologist Don Day is my guest. And uh, if you are a regular listener to Working Ranch radio show well then you definitely have heard his segment that we have in the last part of our program every episode where we get a kind of a glimpse of the long-term weather from his perspective and today we're just going to go a little bit more in depth if you heard us in the first segment we were kind of talking about what we came out of what he's anticipating for this coming year but now uh, Don if we can let's start to break it down and I know that uh, this last year we saw the west in major drought areas the southeast extremely wet when we start looking at it region by region, what does that look like? And I'll just kind of leave it up to you which direction you want to start with, whether you want to start in the northwest or the northeast. Uh, but uh, when you look at it from your perspective, let's start and let's go region by region of the scenario that you're anticipating for them to see from a weather perspective. Yeah, let's break up the country in, in some sections here. Let's let's start with the northwestern areas of the United States, and let's include the uh, western provinces of Canada in that as well. What we see developing this spring and in the early summer season, this is one area where I think we're going to have the biggest improvement. So the severe drought conditions that we have right now uh, across parts of the Pacific Northwest, you know, you look at eastern Washington, you look at eastern areas of Oregon, um, parts of Idaho and especially, you know, into Montana, I, I see a more active pattern this spring and early summer for those areas. So I think the drought areas in Montana, Wyoming, Idaho, Eastern Washington and Oregon, Northern California, and, you know, maybe parts of the Northern Great Basin states, that's an area where I see it not as hot this summer and spring. I also see spring and early summer precipitation in a better situation in those areas. Let's look at the Southwest United States. So from for Central and Southern California, Southern Nevada, the, the Southern and Central parts of Utah into Arizona, New Mexico, mm-hmm. those areas I'm afraid to say are gonna only really get some relief uh, from the summer monsoon season, which in those areas is gonna be June up through early July. I am anticipating a better monsoon season for those areas. But the spring precipitation may fall short a bit below average in those areas. Let's hope that those summer monsoon thunderstorms are are more productive this year. Uh, That's where they're going to get the help. Um, Let's now jump up into the northern Plains states. So talking about the Dakotas, going into Minnesota, Wisconsin, and then for uh, Nebraska and Iowa. Uh, Those areas... I'm looking at near normal precipitation, if not slightly above normal precipitation as we get into the spring and summer. Of interest in that part of the country is also the fact that there's one thing that we saw in 2014 that we're also seeing as a potential for this growing season is we may find that part of the country actually have temperatures at normal. Mm -hmm. There might even be a slight tendency to be a little bit cooler than average. You know, the last two summers have been just hot, hot, especially last summer. Um, That's one thing that I think that part of the country will see is is better precipitation chances and maybe temperatures that won't be as hot. So I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged for that part of the country as well. Going further south, getting into Kansas, Oklahoma and Texas, eastern New Mexico. That's an area I of all the parts of the United States that I have the biggest concern for continued dryness. That's it. Mm. That's going to be okay. those areas. Um, it, it, so the improvement from from listening for what I'm saying in terms of these regions, the improvements are going to be in those northern areas. Yeah, yeah. First, working their way south. So um, I am concerned about continued dryness being a problem in Kansas, Oklahoma, Texas, eastern New Mexico, and I'll throw in eastern Colorado in there as well, especially okay. southeastern Colorado. The southeastern United States. Uh, as you said, has been really wet yeah. and will continue to be wet into the beginning of 
of the spring season uh, and the summer season. The, the one thing that the southeastern United States is likely going to have is a wet spring. Also, we're a little concerned about an uptick in severe weather this year as well. Oh, yep. Okay. And then, and then for the northeast, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so for the northeast United States, I think they're you're you're getting into the part of the country to where the the Pacific Ocean cycles don't nearly have as much impact. Yeah, you know, you're more impacted by what's going on in the Gulf of Mexico, and as you get into the 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 Atlantic currents along the east coast, it looks to me like for the 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 central and eastern Corn Belt into the northeast United States, I would kind of peg it as an average summer, near average precipitation near average temperatures. Uh, one thing we're, we're seeing across most of the United States is we don't have a real hot, dry signal this summer that we've had over the last couple. So that's encouraging. Mm-hmm. The, the Midwest and up into the Northeast has, to me, it seems like they've had some pretty significant winter weather this year from both snowfall and colder temperatures. From a snowpack level, how are we looking? Are, do we, do you, are you potentially seeing any big spring floods like sometimes we have in, in the runoff years? Is there any areas that you kind of watch? And I know out in the West so far, we're probably not going to have anything just yet. Maybe we'll develop something with some of the snowfall coming in March and April. But really, uh, you know, over the, the Missouri, the Mississippi, anything in those areas that you're watching from a significant flood standpoint? Well, one thing we will need to watch are those northern areas. Uh, the the very, you know, the, the heart of the coldest temperatures this winter have been over the Dakotas, over Minnesota, northern Wisconsin, up into south central areas of Canada. That's been the coldest areas. So they have not had a lot of melting, if any, really. And they've got a pretty decent base of snowpack built up into those areas as well. So that's one area that we're going to watch. In the northeastern United States, they certainly have had a snowy and pretty cold winter up there. I think they'll probably not have any problems basically due to the fact that they had a dry fall season and maybe the the runoff conditions won't be bad. In in the western United States, it's been a crazy snowpack year. The snowpack was almost non-existent in November and early December. Just there was nothing. Then all of a sudden, we had tremendous amount of snows. In fact, December was a record amount of snow in the Sierra Nevada. And we saw the snowpacks go from way below average to much above average Mm -hmm. by the time we got into the first week of January. Then it's like somebody turned off the the (laughs) snow machines because January and February both, but especially February, since the central and eastern United States was the coldest and the storminess, you know, that's where the storms were going. They were kind of bypassing the western United States. They were bypassing the Sierras, the Cascades, and the northern and central and southern Rockies. And we were just getting these clipper systems, which are bringing a little bit of snow to the high country. So we saw from early January through the end of February, we saw snowpacks just slowly decline. And we've got a lot of snowpacks in the West that are 70, 80, 90% of normal. Um, those are snowpack levels at the end of the February that you can catch up on. Mm-hmm. And I think we will. Um, I'm quite encouraged that March, April, and early May for the, the Northern and Central Rockies and the Pacific Northwest I'm not so sure about the Sierra Nevada, but at least the northern Sierras. Not sure, sure about the central ones, but I do see those areas I just mentioned making a comeback. Um, so I think a lot of those snowpack areas will have snowpacks in the 90s. There may be some snowpack in the lower 100s in terms of percent of normal. So not a banner snowpack year, mm-hmm. but showing some improvement from where we've been. So this does tie into some of the springtime forecast, which is that part of the country is going to have more activity. Mm-hmm. A bit ago, you talked about maybe seeing a little more volatility in some of the weather as you were as we were talking about the southeast part of the country. But uh, and and so when we look at uh, any time there's severe weather that happens, well, then the next thing that you hear on on some of the mainstream media is climate change. Well, it's all due to climate change. And so I want to take this time now to to address that particular subject of climate change because there's a lot of elements that come in to this now from uh, from some of the carbon programs that are being developed to policies and 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 uh, we're and some of these policies being based on worst case scenarios so when we when we see these extremes and then the next you know week out we hear from the mainstream media these uh, climate change being the issue and, and why we're having this let's go into that subject a little bit and and from your perspective 
these significant weather changes, are they as significant as we think, or is it like what we've talked about here before? It's just what's the most recent memory, and we think it's it's big. Well, yeah, I mean, for a little bit of everything of what you said there, and, 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 the, and the really frustrating thing about this is that if, if we're going to have some adult conversations about climate change and climate policies and everything else, you know, we need to take steps back a little bit with a lot of the political rhetoric that's going on. And honestly, and that political rhetoric gets into the media. Mm-hmm. And every time it seems, you know, maybe I, I listen into this too much, but it seems to me every time there is a major weather event, whether it's a blizzard, whether it's a flood, whether it's record-breaking heat or record-breaking cold temperatures, the, the media narrative immediately goes to, well, this would have never happened without the ongoing climate change that we're going through right now. And that, that is just, it's, it's, it's not, uh, first of all, it's, it's very unscientific. It's, it's the type of what we would call would be anecdotal comments. You know, if you're going to make a bold claim that last, uh, you know, the, the last, let's, let's go back to February, 2021, when, when Texas had mm-hmm. the big Arctic outbreak and all the energy problems there, there were many people who claimed, well, that was because of climate change. Well, if you're going to claim that you need to say why, and you need to back it up with something that's not anecdotal, but you know, let's, let's, let's back this up, but it's really easy in the news cycle to find somebody uh, to make a quote that will say, well, I'm XYZ expert and, and this Arctic outbreak was because of climate change. The jet stream was weaker in, in the Arctic and the Arctic air escaped. Well, unfortunately, we're in a pattern to where we're getting this as consumers of the media and weather and climate information, blaming a lot of these things on climate change. When if you take an historical look and a historical perspective of what's happened with floods and droughts and, and cold snaps and heat waves, find out that, well, of course they've happened in the past. And of course you're going to have variability from year to year on, on when these things happen. So it's a very bold claim to say that the only reason things happen is because climate change. Now, does that say that climate change doesn't play a role in a heat wave or a cold snap to some extent? Yeah, I think that's that's reasonable. But is it the cause of it? And, and I think that's where we get tripped up. And, and what I what I think there's a real problem. And I you know I talk to folks who are really passionate about climate change and how they you know they want to get rid of it and everything else. It's like you got to be really careful, and you can't make attributions of severe weather events based solely on climate change because what you're doing is if we do all of these things that everybody wants us to in terms of reducing emissions and getting you know to a zero carbon economy, okay that by no means is guaranteeing that all these bad things will go away. You know, these bad weather events are going to continue regardless of what we do. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to oversell your narrative. And I'm, I'm afraid that's kind of where we are. Yeah. Well, let's take a break here. My guest today is meteorologist Don Day out of Cheyenne, Wyoming. And if you're a regular listener to the Working Ranch Radio Show, then you're familiar with Don and uh, the fact that he gives us a weather update uh, at the end of every show. We're going to continue to kind of do that as we've been talking very long term. It's actually going to be kind of a more of a short term forecast what we're seeing for the month of March. However, when we come back, we still have more climate weather topics to talk about. In fact, if you listen at the very intro of our program today he said something we need to know about is rcp do you know what that means well we're going to talk about it when we come back on the working ranch radio show we'll be back after this ka-ching more pounds more calves more profit studies show herford genetics increased net profit by 51 dollars per cow per year that's twenty thousand dollars in additional revenue for a typical 400 cow outfit and calves sired by herford bulls continue to add value through the chain a documented 30 dollars per head in feedlot profitability that's real money and real results get more ka-ching come home to herford at herford.org
And we welcome you back here to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm your host, Justin Mills. And if you're just tuning in now to our program here, our guest today is meteorologist Don Day. And if you missed the front half of this, then I would encourage you to go to uh, any podcast provider out there, search under Working Ranch Radio Show. Shoot, I think if you just type in your web browser, Working Ranch Radio Show, you will find it. You go back and you can listen to some of the stuff we've already talked about, which I would highly advise if you're in agriculture weather's important that's just all there is to it and so one of the things i always talk about is that he does have a daily video podcast that he kicks out every monday through friday and and i know where uh don is based out of cheyenne wyoming there's going to be lots that's kind of focused around that particular area within a two three hundred mile radius but nevertheless the maps and just the weather pattern that he shows on his video podcast is really nationwide so i I think you would find it valuable no matter whether you're on the west coast mid uh, the rockies uh, mountain region the midwest or the east coast or south uh, eastern part of the country i think you would find his weathercast very valuable so be sure to check that out you can go to his website at dayweather.com or just honestly with web browsers anymore you just pretty much search the person's name and it'll come up and you can find his podcast but let's get back into our our program now and our conversation with meteorologist don day and don uh, I know you travel a lot. You've had a lot of conversations about some of the carbon programs that are coming down the line. I know on our ranches here in Northeast Wyoming, it's something we've heard about. I know of some people that have actually inked some deals about carbon sequestration uh, that they're doing on their ranching operations. And we and I really feel uh, that we're hearing there's a lot of potential for ranchers in there. But from your circles uh, and the travel that you've had, what are you hearing on some of these carbon programs that are potentially could be coming down the line? Well, I think the ag industry is, is, and I think a lot of folks are realizing this, um, are, is really going to be under a lot of scrutiny, more so than it is now, uh, with, with everything from carbon footprints to fertilizer use, all of these things to where policy decisions are going to be made and programs are going to be enacted uh, for addressing the, these issues, whether or not you believe these issues are real or contrived or somewhere in between, uh, it's happening. And one thing that I really have noticed in, in attending several conferences here this, this winter season is, you know, as you mentioned, there's going to be some availability to take advantage of, of, of some of these carbon programs. It could be an extra source of revenue and it, it could work out really well, uh, but there's also going to be uh, a lot of strings attacks attached and goalposts that'll be moving in terms of exactly how these programs are, are going to work. And, and one thing that I've talked to producers about and, you know, in conversations with them is, well, you know, uh, one, I'll tell you, I'll give you an example. I, I, was, I was at a conference in Nebraska and I was asked if, if all of these, these new carbon policies are going to be enacted, what would be the change in, in global temperature if, if all of Nebraska in, adapted all of these, these policies. And, and my answer to them is it's going to be a decimal point followed by a lot of zeros before you get to a number. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and, and that's, you know, and, and then you're going to have to add up all these other parts of the world for the same thing. So again, it goes back to my previous comment is you can do all of these things, but if you're going to expect the weather to somehow be more manageable, more predictable and, and better for your operation, I think that is the wrong way to think about it. What I what I do think producers need to do is get themselves educated on on we we know these policy decisions are being made based on the fact that we hear all about the, the climate change and these climate change goals and everything. But I do think they need to get educated on what are folks using to make these policies. I mean, it's a very broad statement to say fight fight climate change. That's a statement like saying fight crime. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's a statement you could say forever. So, so what I, uh, what I, what I tell producers, if it were me, I would make sure that I, I ask really hard questions to the people who are making these policy decisions, whether it's a senator, or a congressman, or maybe it's a bureaucrat for, from from several agencies. Say, okay, if we're going to have to reduce our footprint by X amount, please tell me the benefits I'm going to receive from a weather standpoint. Am I gonna see better weather? Am I gonna see cooler summers and more rain? What exactly you know, are you trying to do here? And please provide the science to back up you know, these goals. And one thing that very few people know about, and I, I wish more people knew about, 
is something that's called RCP. And this is what the UN Panel on Climate Change uses to make their estimates. So when you hear on the news, well, the UN Panel on Climate Change says that by the year 2000, the Earth's going to be eight degrees warmer, you know, if, unless we, you know, change our ways, do all these things very differently. What they've done is they've come up with four different global climate predictions. Um, and it stands for actually the amount of concentration of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. And what they do is they have four scenarios. They have a, a scenario which is pretty much temperatures staying or even going down a little bit between now and the year 2100. That is a scenario they call 2.6, which is basically very little change in global temperature. They have another scenario, which is about a two degree increase maybe in conditions. And then they have one that's what we call RP6 and then RCP 8.5. So we have four different scenarios. The 8.5 is the absolute worst case scenario by the year 2100, which basically means an eight degree Fahrenheit rise in temperature. And if all of those things happen, if that indeed happens, you know, then yeah, without a doubt, if the earth is eight degrees Fahrenheit warmer, there's a lot of bad things that are going to happen. That is the worst case scenario that is based on emissions of coal that would triple which we don't think that's going to happen. Mm -hmm. It's also based on other things that are not realistic. These mid-range scenarios, like the first couple I mentioned, um, they take into account more electric car use, not as many coal plants, uh, reduced emissions from, you know, all, all these other practices that people are, 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 they're going to be asking to partake in. And these are much more reasonable, much more manageable, much more realistic climate scenarios between now and 2100. So you would think that the policymakers and the folks who recommend policy would take more of the middle road approach to what we need to do. But unfortunately, they use that RCP 8.5. And the most recent climate report that has come out here recently is using mm -hmm. RCP 0.85 for the basis of what's getting reported, which is a which is a climate scenario that has almost no chance of being correct. For us to be eight degrees warmer uh, in, let's see, let's see, what was 70 some years, you know, we got to start warming up really quick mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> to even to even get to that level. So what so what I remind folks is to say, listen, what they're doing is they're using the absolute worst case scenario to make their policy decisions on what they want you to do. Um, and you might have somebody come back and say, using the precautionary principle, we should do that. We should, using that precautionary principle, say that is the worst case scenario because if it ends up being the worst case scenario and that ends up becoming reality, at least we're planning that route. Okay, and that's one argument. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's one sure. argument that this totally unrealistic scenario has a small probability of happening. Well, if you're going to be true to the precautionary principle, you got to flip it around and say, well, if we do all of these things that is based on a worst case scenario and you're wrong, are we doing policy? Are we enacting policy that's that's counterproductive to what it should be if we would take more of a middle road scenario? Um, you know, and so for from where I come from, and looking at all these issues that producers have coming, the, the rules and the regulations that are going to be coming uh, with these programs is don't be afraid to ask hard questions and say, you know, do we really have to be do, do we have to do these draconian measures based on a worst case scenario that even a lot of climate yeah. scientists say that scenario just is not going to be is not realistic. Mm hmm. Yeah. You know, and I, and I see the extremism on this particular subject across our country, across the world in general, and a lot of policies put in place, a lot of decisions being made. And really, it's coming back to like, OK, who is going to implement this? And they look at agriculture as being the one that's got to do this or or they blame agriculture one way or the other. And really, the reality of it is, is there's things that we're doing in the ag industry that are not harmful to the to, to the climate by any means. And in fact, it's kind of interesting when you think about the fact that we have companies approaching ranchers about uh, carbon sequestration because that's the way they can offset their carbon footprint. 
Well, exactly. And the thing is, is that, you know, I, I think a lot of folks get drugged down into, are you a believer or non-believer? Are you a denier? Are you not a denier? That type of thing. I think we're, we're kind of beyond that. And so, so now it's getting to the point to say, well, listen, if you're going to do all these things, tell me the basis of your decisions, the reason you're making these policy decisions, and are you using the best available science? Of course, they're going to say yes. But if you press them, first of all, you're going to find that most people are completely ignorant. A lot of even these policymakers on on exactly what they're using, you know. So so that's one thing. And number two is, you know, I do think there's there's a real risk of goalpost moving, um, which we all know in in dealing with regulatory agencies. You know, for one minute it's this way, mm-hmm. the next year it's a different way, um, and and I and I and I think that's hard to manage. Yeah. So I, I and and so um, what I what I really implore on folks to say is just don't accept we're fighting climate change. Well, well, for fighting climate change, give me some data, give me some numbers, tell me what the results are based on what you know of me doing these things or collectively. And then you have to ask the question, well, is the United States the only, yeah, only yeah. ag producing nation that's going to do this? Um, if, if China or Russia or South America, all the other key ag industries across the globe, are they going to be doing the same things? Because if they're not, why are we, why are we being held to a different standard than they are? Um, you know, and, and vice versa. So, so there's, it can get really muddled down. Yeah. Unfortunately, like a lot of political things and it is a political thing. Um, some folks think it's a completely environmental thing. It is, but it's also extremely political. Yeah. It gets emotional and, and, and sometimes emotion gets in the way of clear thinking. Yeah. Yep, for sure. Well, stay with us. We're going to take another break here. We have one more segment coming up with meteorologist Don Day, who is our guest. And that is to do our regular weather segment, as we always do uh, at the very tail end of our program here on the Working Ranch Radio Show, as we get kind of a long-term weather outlook for the next couple of weeks. And we're going to do that when we come back. My guest today is meteorologist Don Day, and you're listening to the Working Ranch Radio Show. If you could do something today that would bring you a profit tomorrow, would you do it? In the cattle business, it's about efficiency. And with Limousine Genetics in your herd, your profit is just one calf crop away. With Limousine or Limflex cattle, it's more pounds, naturally, to sell at weaning. It's growth and feed efficiency with the added benefit of carcass merit. The other side of the profit coin with Limousine Genetics is the maternal efficiency, docility, and longevity of your cows and bulls. It's as simple as limousine today, profit tomorrow. And welcome back here again to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. Glad to have you on our program today. My guest is meteorologist Don Day. And I want to remind you one more time that if you're just joining us on the program, I would advise that uh, we talked about a lot of stuff related to weather and climate change here today that if you didn't get an opportunity to, to listen to the first part of it, please do go to uh, any podcast provider out there. I mean, the major ones are things like Spotify or Apple or uh Pandora, very, I mean, there's a, any any of the major ones, any of the minor ones, really, for that matter. You search out there, you will find Working Ranch Radio Show. Today is episode 60, as we are talking about weather with our guest today, meteorologist Don Day. Now it is time, though, to get kind of back into our regular segment that we always have every week with meteorologist Don Day, and that is a look at our upcoming weather that we're going to be seeing for the next couple of weeks. And Don, I know um, we've had some pretty pleasant weather to start start off the month of March, but according to what you're seeing, you're expecting the middle part of this month to show some significant weather that uh, will be affecting many portions of the country, both in colder conditions, but also moisture. So let's talk about that and what you're expecting to see here for the next couple of weeks. As they like to say, beware the Ides of March. <laughs> and I think I think that's going to be really true coast to coast as uh, we, we saw the end of February end extremely cold. In fact, February was a colder than average month for most of the lower 48 states. Uh, but then we had this warm up, which happens after Arctic outbreaks. But what we see is the Pacific reloading and the Arctic reloading a little bit here. And this is going to cause coast to coast a very active weather pattern. For the next couple of weeks, the focus of the stormy weather is going to be in the Pacific Northwest, the central and the northern Rockies, and into the northern plains, and also parts of the northern 
parts of the Midwest and Corn Belt than into the Great Lakes. That area is going to be frequented by multiple systems over a two-week period of time, and that's also going to open the door to Canada. So this is going to bring snow back into the Rockies, uh, rain to the Pacific Northwest, colder than average conditions will come back into the Dakotas, back into the Plain States. We're hoping that some of that precipitation gets down into those Southern Plains areas, while Arizona and New Mexico, I think, are going to get into the action a little bit. I'm still concerned about that Oklahoma, Texas area, not benefiting from this wave Mm -hmm. in the next couple of weeks. We then will see probably about a week to 10 days of the stormy weather going into the Great Lakes, into the northeastern parts of the United States. And then the end of March into April, we're going to see the western United States get back into the action again. So what we see developing, and this has to do with the weakening La Nina and colder than average sea surface temperatures still up into the Gulf of Alaska. That's a pattern we've seen historically that makes a March, the March, a busy month coast to coast uh, with fluctuating temperatures. You get these wild swings. March is when you start to see severe weather break out in the southeastern United States. March is the time of year you can have some pretty big winter events in the north and the west. And I think that's exactly what we're going to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, it's kind of a double-edged sword because we, we do need the moisture. And we talked a bit ago about the snowpack. The snowpacks up in many of the mountains, that uh, you know, the western part of the country, are below average and we do need that snow. It sounds like we may start to build that up a little bit. But from a length standpoint, as far as the maybe the severity of, of snow or cold, do you see these next 45 days being a longer or and below average cooler temperatures and kind of really significant weather? Yes, I do. I think that um, we're going to see a colder than average March uh, for most of the nation, especially central in the west and i think that's going to carry on into the month of april as well um before we kind of bust out of it and start to see a, a probably a, a bit of at least a closer to the average trend with temperatures as we get on into may so i think folks need to be prepared for the fact that this spring is probably going to be colder uh, than the last couple um now one thing about a colder spring colder springs are directly connected to better precipitation uh it's not often you have a cold spring and and be drier than average Mm -hmm. Uh, usually you know the one the way the weather works you got to cool the atmosphere off to make it rain or snow um and this is especially true during the spring you bet well don again i want to thank you very much for being a part of the working ranch radio show not only for what you do for us on a weekly basis uh, very valuable information to us in the agricultural industry but appreciate you on our program today giving us a little bit more insight uh, from a very long-term perspective and also some of the conversation regarding climate change and how that and and the weather topic that a lot of times kind of come hand in hand so again i want to thank you for joining us here on our program today Good to talk to you again. And again, my guest today has been meteorologist Don Day. Stay with us. Coming up next, we'll put a wrap on this program and talk about what's coming up next week on the Working Ranch Radio Show. We'll be back after this. Do you have a young child, grandchild, niece, or nephew that loves the weather and wants to learn more? Day Weather has produced a children's weather journal full of weather facts, fun weather experiments, coloring pages, and pages to record weather observations for every season of the year. The weather journal is for ages 3 to 7 and designed to be fun and educational. The interactive weather projects are fun for the whole family to take part in. For only $10, the Day Weather Weather Journal is a great gift idea for any occasion. Click on our Amazon link to order at dayweather.com. And that's going to wrap things up for this episode of the Working Ranch Radio Show. Don't forget to join us next week. Clint Berry will be joining us. I know we're a long ways out from selling calves this fall, but it's never too early to start thinking about how to market your calves for the next cycle. That's going to be our subject next week when Clint Berry joins us. Well, the Working Ranch Radio Show is a production of Working Ranch Magazine, branded number one by America's Ranchers. Join us right here every Saturday and Sunday at 12 noon Eastern on Rural Radio Channel. Channel 147, Sirius XM, or on your podcast provider. I'm your host, Justin Mills, and until next time, keep your chin down and your mind in the middle. So long.